Hey rock stars, I'm Lydia Billings. And I'm Colleen Starcoke. And you're listening to Rules Aren't Real, a Rowan Coaching production. Have you ever followed a rule that didn't end up serving you? Here's an example. I can't be an artist and make money. Or how about this one? You can't start a new career after 30. Colleen and I want to explore why people often follow these rules, even though they aren't always awesome. Every other week, we'll dissect and debunk a societal, cultural, or individual rule invented by humans. We'll also look at some of the neuroscience behind why we're wired to follow the beaten path. On the alternating weeks, we'll interview a super rad real-life guest who has achieved badass results by completely breaking the previous week's rule. Get ready to climb out of that box, folks. Welcome to Rules Aren't Real. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 11. What, what? <laughs> Crazy town. We are so excited to welcome another amazing guest this episode. His name is Ellie Vineski, and he's going to share with us all about joining the circus, running away to join the circus. Um, mm-hmm. And we can't wait to hear a little bit more about him. Um, keep your feedback coming. We love hearing from you guys. Um, and let us know how you liked last week's episode as well. Colleen, will you share a little bit more about Ellie? Absolutely. Uh, so Ellie, Ellie and I uh, go way back, actually. I met him about eight years ago. Um, we, we even dated for a hot minute there, but shh, that's, Ooh, a, that, that's confidential <laughs> information. <laughs> uh, he's here joining us to talk about the rule and debunk the rule with us that you cannot actually run away to join the circus. So in his own words, Ellie did practically nothing with his life <laughs> until age 29. He decided to join the circus. Two years later, he was performing in Berlin with the Tiger Lily Circus. For the next 14 years, off and on, I think, uh, Vanesky performed trapeze, lyra, and aerial dance around the U.S. and the world. He performed on the Oprah Winfrey Show with the modern dance group Palobolus and won most innovative performance at the 2009 World Burlesque Championships in Las Vegas, which, just side note, I didn't know that was a thing, and now I have to go. Like, it has to be on my calendar <laughs> <laughs> During that time, he also started a tutoring company and wrote three books on the emotional and psychological side of learning, because why not break all the rules and do all the things? He's currently working on an online math program. Ellie, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Colleen, Lydia. Awesome. So, Ellie, you're here to help us debunk this uh, very, very important rule, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> cool. So, you know, as our listeners know from last week, we were really taking a couple different angles on this rule. Um, not only just that you literally can run away and join the circus if you want, but that you shouldn't be afraid to quit the job or the life that you hate or that's boring or whatever the case may be, no matter how terrifying it seems or how crazy the alternative is, such as joining the circus. And also that you should quit in order to pursue your passion or to do that crazy thing. So, Ellie, talk to us a little bit about how your journey got started. So, my journey got started um, based on failure, really. I was trying to make it as a writer, and I wasn't, I wasn't handling the marketing end of it. I was writing a lot. But I really wasn't sending my stuff out enough. I wasn't making the type of connections you need to make to be successful. And so what happens in the arts, I'm sure you're 
aware of this is that you have five leads and or 10 leads and out of those 10 leads one thing comes through and nine of them the other nine look like they're going to come through and then they blow up for whatever reason sure and so you need to have a lot of irons in the fire and i wasn't doing that and then when that blew up i'd have nothing and that really went on for about five or six years with me telling myself oh i'm you know i'm just about to get there and having something look good and then and then fall apart for seemingly no reason Mm -hmm. and uh this one day i ran into a friend of mine from college and she said that she was working at a young adult publishing company she said look i know you're writing i know you're good we're looking for writers who can do we're going to start producing our own young adult novels so if you're interested we'd love to have you write for us you know we'd only be able to pay you fifteen thousand twenty thousand dollars for a hundred page book but you know that would be just at the beginning and in my head, I was like, oh, my God, $20,000. You know, I'd never really. You know, <laughs> I made it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, my God, I'm rich. I love you know, that I line. Really... It'll just be for the beginning. I promise. It's like my favorite yeah. thing. I was bartending. I was waiting tables. This possibility just seemed so magical. So I sent her my resume to show the people that she was working with and, you know, sent her some writing samples and some ideas and fleshed out some outlines. And I never heard from her again. I sent her three, four emails. You know, at one point, I even sent her this email that said, and this wasn't true, but I just wanted to test it. I said, look, I have a new agent, and I really have to make sure, you know, for legal reasons, I have to be very clear about what I had going on before I signed with the agent and what what I didn't. So just, you know, if if you're not interested in hiring me, I totally understand, and thank you for the opportunity no hard feelings, but just get back to me. And she didn't. And I just thought, I was like, I'm, I think I was 28 at this time. I'm 28 years old and I'm begging someone for what is common courtesy, like the most minimal common courtesy. And I'm not getting it. And it just got to a certain point. And I just said, fuck this. I just don't want to do this anymore. And I said, you know, it was sort of like I, I hit that point and I said it and there was this automatic recoil of like, oh, my God, I can't do that. Because, you know, in my family, no one failed. My dad saw what he wanted to do and did it. My mom saw what she wanted to do and did it. My sister got her Ph.D. from Brown and now was, you know, working at startups out in California. I didn't have any models for failure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that idea, though. Models for failure. We all need some, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so important. Because until then, until I did it, I thought of failures as capital F failures. Like, if you failed at something, you were a failure. And what I realized eventually was that that wasn't true at all. Mm-hmm. That, in fact, once I admitted to myself, oh, I'm not going to make it as a writer. I'm not going to do this. Which was difficult because I, you know, I think as an artist, you tend to define yourself by your art. Oh, sure. It's not, you know, when you make a decision like that, you're not just choosing a different career or a different path. You are giving up part of your identity. I mean, how do you introduce yourself now? I'm Ellie and I'm a writer. Oh, wait, no, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) So it took me a little while after that first, you know, pronouncement that I was done it took me a little while to be to really be okay with it 
And once I was, I realized that it was the absolute right thing to do. But it did leave me a little wobbly. And I think that wobbliness was actually a real benefit because it opened me up to new avenues. And it was through that that I realized I had seen a, a circus show a few months before that. And I realized like, oh, I, I really want to do that. I had known someone in the show. I had gone to college with her. So I called her up and she told me about the circus school in San Francisco. So I sublet my apartment and I went out there for a couple months and I started taking flying trapeze. And so I also cool. remember, <laughs> I, you know, I battled a minor fear of heights. And I remember when I was walking to the place to you know, I would take these classes and each time I would go up and my palms would start sweating and I'd be scared. And each time I'd be walking towards, each time before class, I'd be walking towards the center. I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to be scared today. I'm not going to be scared today. And then I'd walk in and immediately I'd be scared. I'd be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> God damn it. Why am I here? God damn it. <laughs> right. Um, eventually, I came to realize that it's okay to be scared, which was a fantastic realization because that also led me to realize that all of the pain that comes from that came from the denial of the feeling and trying to hide the fact and shove down the fact that I was scared. The actual yeah. fear wasn't all that bad. It was a yeah. denial of that fear that, that was painful. So I was taking flying trapeze classes and the instructor pulled me aside after the fourth or fifth class and he just said, Ellie, you are strong, you are flexible, you have good body control you are never going to perform on flying trapeze. There are just too few jobs. There are people that have been doing it all their life. This is expensive to do. And you're just not good enough. But you really should perform. So pick something else and do it. And he was right. And so I looked around at the other things that I was interested in or that I thought I'd be good at. And static trapeze stood out. And just so your audience knows, those who aren't circus performers themselves, flying trapeze is what you see in the circus and what people normally think of with trapeze, where you're flipping from one bar to the next. Static trapeze is where the bar can hang still anywhere from 8 feet to 25 feet off the ground, and you're doing a routine on the bar. So I would string together lifts and falls and balances. You know, I could hang from the top of one foot. I could fall back and catch the ropes with my ankles. I could balance with the bar across my back and then there's doubles and so I went to that and that really took and so I just kept doing it and I've never performed in anything outside of summer camp talent shows you know I wasn't an actor I wasn't a performer I wasn't a dancer or a gymnast and I worried every once in a while about stage fright because I was always nervous talking in front of the class but my instructor had a recital and I just ignored all the thoughts in my head that said, you know, don't do that. And I went and did it. And that huge stage fright that I was expecting to hit me never hit. So I did it. And then I performed somewhere else. And then I performed somewhere else. And then it just built. And I never let myself think, oh, I can't do this. Or, oh, what do I do next? Or how am I going to how am I going to perform if there are a lot of people in the audience? Or if it's really high, what will I do then? I just really took it as it came. What do you think it is in you that enabled you to do that, right? That enabled you to do this 
totally terrifying, brave new thing that was uh, completely unrelated in most ways, it sounds like, to sort of your previous incarnation, your, your previous life. What do you think it was in you that, that gave you that ability? Well, first, I'm a total badass. That's... <laughs> Next, clear. Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> let, me, let me think about that for a second. That's a good question. Because I'm not someone who... I'm not an extrovert. I'm actually a very much an introvert. And I'm not someone who is, you know, who loves to perform in front of other people. And I'm not the guy at the party who is the center of attention. You know, I'm actually off to the side most of the time. I think it was a challenge. I think having my identity shaken made me question a lot of who I was. So I thought I was a writer and it turned out I wasn't. So what's to say that I couldn't be a performer? That's so fantastic. That's so cool. I'm, I'm curious if, because you said you're naturally introverted and not often the center of attention or not often seeking that. Is there, has there ever been a part of you that loves performing because it's exactly the opposite of that? Or is performing for you not really about the other people? No, it is, it is about the other people. Okay. And, and you're right, there is a part of me that likes being the center of attention. First, because, you know, it's fun to be the center of attention. Sure, right? of course. And then there's a part of me that loves it because it's so different. In fact, there was a time where I was, I had a trapeze partner who was a burlesque star and contortionist and who was drop dead gorgeous. And we were rehearsing and I was sitting on the bar wearing tights and she was sitting on my lap and I had my arm around her waist and I just thought, oh my God, it, like the 16 year old me, like what would he think? I'm sitting here <laughs> on a trapeze bar wearing tights and this red hot burlesque star is sitting on my lap. Like I have come a long, long way from being a sullen, depressed teenager. Right. <laughs> I, I also want to go back now that I thought about it a little bit, Colleen, about your question of what was it that made me do that? I don't know. I think part of it was never looking for some type of reason or never demanding that I absolutely felt 100% confident about it. So the fact that I wasn't a performer, the fact that I had never done it before, I never let that bother me because I never demanded from myself some type of like, oh, I'm a performer, which I, th I think that was beneficial for me at the time because there was, there was no real chance for me to say, oh, you, you're not that kind of person, so don't do it. Which is a completely rule-breaking mentality to begin with, you know, mm -hmm. to, to look at life and say... Here's the thing, I don't know how to do it. It might be terrifying. It's totally outside of my ken. And I'm going to go for it. And I'm going to ignore the people who say I can't. I'm going to ignore the little person inside my brain who says I can't. And I'm just going to sort of <laughs> proceed uh -huh. with, uh, with, uh, with fire. Why not? Yeah. I love it. So what are, your, what are some of your favorite memories from, from being with the circus? I mean, this is crazy. You did this, you said, for 14 years? Yeah, off and on. One of my favorite memories was the show in Berlin. Because before then, that came about because um, I was rehearsing with a different partner in a climbing wall in Manhattan. 
and I saw someone training two people for this beautiful routine. And at this time, there weren't that many people doing circus, and they were divided into two groups, people that were came from dancing and and were really, really cool, and then like performance artists, which were really who were really standoffish and uh, difficult to say the least. And so I saw this guy training these two people, and I was like, is he one of the good ones or the bad ones? <laughs> I really want to go up to him if he's going to be a snob to me. And then I was like, fuck it. I don't care. I'm going to go up. And if he's a if he's a jerk, he's a jerk. So I went up and I introduced myself and I said that the you know routine was great. And he said, you know, we're always looking for guys to do this. If you're interested, give me your card and I will. I will, you know, get back to you. And I had just had cards made the day before. So I gave him a card and then I didn't hear anything for three months. And all of a sudden I got this email that said September in Berlin from an address I didn't recognize. So I opened it up and it said, hi, my name is Lisa Giovi. You know, you met my partner, Tim, at the climbing wall. Are you interested in performing in Berlin for the months of September with the Tiger Lily Circus? And at this point, oh. I'd I had performed, I don't know how many times, maybe 10 times at most, you know, in front of at most 20 people, 30 people, everyone in, you know, jeans and a t-shirt. And I was just, I was, you know, I looked up the tiger lily circus and it was a big deal and i had just started my tutoring business with a with a friend of mine and i didn't know if i should take september off which is normally a busy month and so i was going back and forth with it and i talked to my dad who said imagine the worst case scenario so imagine you go and it's not much fun and you don't like it how would that feel versus how would you feel if you said no and you know you were tutoring in september and you were thinking about that missed opportunity. I like and I just dad. said, yeah, I said, <laughs> thank you. I'm going. And so I went and I mean, everything about it was romantic. You know, there were posters all around town. We had those dressing rooms with the mirrors, with the bulb lights all around them. The people in the show were, you know, world-class performers. And my, you know, Lisa and I didn't have that much time for me to rehearse and learn this routine. And it was a very physically taxing routine so she uh we had i think three weeks in new york city and then i went to a wedding and then i met her in germany and we had two rehearsals beforehand now for this act i'm normally lowered from the ceiling by a third person who's hooked into lines but we didn't have that for the rehearsals so i had to climb up this lighting grid 30 feet in the air hook myself into these climbing slings and then lower myself off the grid and slide down the slings. Oh and God. I couldn't get a good grip on the slings. They're nylon and they were slick. So I had to put all as much of my body onto the ropes as possible and slide down. And it just, I was kind of physically busted by the time the routine started and I couldn't get through the routine either, either day. And Lisa was great. She's like, don't worry, you'll do better. It will be different when we're in the actual space. But in my head, I was, you know, freaking out a little bit. And the very next day, we had to perform in this space for the rest of the cast, for the producers, for the investors, and for the press. No pressure. And I went, before I went up to the top, I went to the bathroom and I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you are going to go up there and you are going to do this and you are going to get all the way through it and you're going to do a great job because you do not have a choice. And I went, all right. And I went up, I got lowered down, and I did it. And I did a great job, and I got all the way through it. And 
and the whole show went great. And it was amazing. I mean, to get up to the top, because I was lowered from the ceiling, I had to climb up the outside of the circus tent. Wow. So, so they had a rope going down the top, and I would you know, scale up the circus tent, and this very serious German stagehand would come with me. And then there was a small cupola at the top, and this sort of platform about 40 feet up. German stagehand would roll up the side. I would crawl in through the top. And then he would poke his head in and with a very serious look on his face, give me a thumbs up. And then I would give him a thumbs up back and he would <laughs> roll it down. And then I would hook in and I would pull on the line to the belayer that I was ready. And he would pull back to let me know he was ready. And then I would hang upside down or I would hang holding on to the bar. So my feet were touching the bar and my hands were grabbing onto the bar and my butt was facing down towards the ground. And then I would let go. And this is 40 feet up. And I would fall about two feet before the rope caught. And each time there was a, you know, it was just, it was uh-huh. exhilarating every time. And the show was sold out for the entire month long run. You know, people were wearing suits and ties that had never been the case in an audience that I had performed in front of. And then after the show, the whole cast would ride our bikes back through the force. It was in the middle of the, I don't remember what the force is called in Germany. The huge park is called the Tea Garden, maybe. We would ride back through the Tea Garden, and it was dark, and only two of us had lights on our bikes. So we would form this sort of V formation and ride back together around midnight or 1230. And I loved every single second of it. And I uh. And that, I want so to join the circus. <laughs> <laughs> this is so romantic. Yeah, and another great part of performing in Europe is that they refer to you as the artist in all of the contracts. Uh-huh. So they'll say, like, the artist will receive breakfast in his room each morning. And I'd be like, hell <laughs> like, yeah, the artist I'm a king. Yeah. <laughs> hell right. yeah, the artist will. <laughs> I bet you can still hear the music from that act in your head when you think about this moment, can't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You can see it. Total sensory experience. I believe it. Yeah. You know, something I'm noticing listening to you talk is that some of your most transformative and awesome life moments are preceded by fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you have any thoughts Hashtag on the nature rule breaker? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have any thoughts on the the nature of fuck it and what role that's played in your life and how others might take advantage of that philosophy? I I think it's been great for me just because of who I am. You know, I'm normally a very cautious person. I'm normally someone who is I don't when I I realize as I'm about to say this I'm not all that crazy about this part of me, but I I realize that it is. I do care a lot about what people think of me, which is something that I'm trying to lessen in my life. But because of that, I feel like when I say fuck it, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it kind of has more weight. Yeah, because I'm, I'm a planner and I'm looking at the consequences of things. And, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, I've had four beers. Should I drive home? Fuck it. I'm going to drive home. But it's, <laughs> sure. it's one of those things where I'm like, God, I can't, you know, that it's usually in response to the voice in my head telling me that I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck mm-hmm. that guy. Yeah, and that guy really deserves to hear fuck you 
all like the every time. Every day. <laughs> in fact, as soon as we get off this phone, I'm going to tell him to go fuck himself. Seriously. Yeah. So, I mean, this whole experience, right? I mean, part of what we've been talking about is actually running away to join the circus. And it, mm. it sounds like you, you've really had that experience. You've, you've, uh, you've dipped into some sort of particular magic and, and experience something that's that, that's a very uh, a rare thing I think in the world. But at the same time, it it also sounds like this experience may have allowed you to see yourself differently in a way that led to some other greater successes in your life. Would you say that's the case? I think it definitely did. I think there's a part of me that knows. All right, not that long ago, you were afraid of heights and you didn't think of yourself as a performer. And that's let me think in other situations where I have that voice, it's like, oh, this, that's not you. To say like, well, it could be. So I think there's been a real trickle down effect in breaking these assumptions that I held about myself that were not true. Awesome, awesome. Lydia, what questions do you have for our esteemed well, guest, the artist? No, yeah, no, right. I'm an artist too. It's always <laughs> great when people identify you as what you are, which is an artist. Um, now I'm like totally in love with the idea. I mean, I'm not going to join the circus, but like I was a dancer when I grew up. I was a performer. I, I kind of am familiar with that world. And I'm curious what advice you would give to someone who actually is inspired to go join the circus. What would that, I mean, what avenues are there for people? What, I don't even know what the circus looks like now or where they could find out more information about that. Yeah, it depends where they are. I would Google circus schools and circus training centers. You know, there are a lot that have been opening up. There are some great ones in New York. There's The Muse. There's Circus Warehouse. Um, there's House of Yes. And the one thing I would caution people is be really clear on who the instructors are. Because I'm, I'm sure, Lydia, you probably saw this in the dance world, but there are people who will do circus for six months and then say, I'm a teacher. And you know, with something else, you know, you're, you know, you take classes with them and you don't learn something and you're out some money, but with circus, you can really get hurt. And sometimes if you're hanging from a bar, if you're doing trapeze, there's a way to engage your shoulders so that eight years down the line, you're not getting rotator cuff surgery, but you won't know that you're doing that damage right away. So if you see someone that's a circus teacher, ask them about their credentials and ask them about their training and make sure that you're getting someone who is who knows what they're doing and then go and do it because you're never going to know until you try. And if you're somewhere where there aren't classes, two of the best things for me were yoga and pull-ups. So get flexible. Oh, my God. Pull-ups are like the bane of my existence. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm like, what? And How? And then understand That's why that they all have huge shoulders and arms. Now it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and understand that you know, just because you're not good now doesn't mean you can't be good later. You know things. Sure. I remember in yoga, it took me two years to do a headstand. Oh yeah, which was quite frustrating. A year and ten months into it, when I still <laughs> couldn't do it, I'm oh, the only one in the class yeah. who's falling down. And God damn it! Um, yeah, yeah, but definitely just. Go out and do it and try it because there's a long time. I know looking back on my life, there was a long time between me saying, oh, I want to do something and then actually going and doing it. And that time is just, you know, wasted time. 
So totally. What do you? Yeah. What do you think? You know, because this this is a phrase that people often say, like, well, it's not like you can just run off and join the circus, or, oh, he just ran off and, and joined the circus, like he just fell off the face of the planet. Like, what? Where do you, do you know where that comes from? Why do we say that? Why do we say it like the circus is an invalid form of profession? Well, I think the circus became a symbol for running away to the circus became a symbol for any type of activity where it wasn't furthering your life goals and where it was an interruption towards a career. And I think the circus back when that saying was made had a lot more of a nefarious type of connotation where there was a lot of thievery and bad things going on. Whereas yeah. now the circus has a much different reputation of being much more artistic. Whereas before I think it was seedy and, and depressing. Um, when I grew up, my father, my father, when he was very young, was taken on a tour of a circus by, I don't know, someone, but it haunted him. He, he spoke to me when I was younger about just how depressed and depressing it was. And I think that's a view that a lot of people have of the circus. Um, but that has changed, I think, in large part to Cirque du Soleil. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. I remember um, seeing yeah. Cirque shows when I was a kid and just being totally mesmerized and amazed. You know, it's just breathtaking, the the art that people can create. Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess I, I don't... I, I wasn't around when the circus started, right? I don't know that any of us were, but I guess that does make that sense. That's true. That, you know, we don't really experience or we haven't experienced what it used to be. I'm actually curious about what your dad saw and... I'm now curious to ask my grandparents and my parents a little bit more about what the circus used to be like, because I I didn't even consider that. I had no really perception of what, what it used to be. I, I do remember this book, though. What, uh, so, oh, Water for Elephants. Did, did either yep. of you read that book? Um, yeah, I did read that book. I loved that book. And now I'm sort of having flashbacks of like sort of the things that were written about in that book. And maybe I'll reread it. I'm also curious, you know, what... Not not just in the realm of circus, but Ellie, what would you say to someone who feels really stuck in a job that they hate, or you know, some there's some area of their life that's just not not going well? What would your advice be for that person? My advice would be that things can change, that they need to sit down and think about what they want, and then start mapping out a plan to get there. And I think, you know, as someone who's felt stuck at different points in his life, I know the feeling of things are bad and there's nothing I can do about them. And I think it's really easy to get trapped into that mindset. And the thing to realize is that it's not true. I mean, you can go online and you can learn just about anything. And there are coaches out there that can teach you just about anything. You know, from, you know, I want to, you know, I'm tired of feeling nervous in front of people. You know, there are, there's Toastmasters where you can practice public speaking. And, all right, I'm not sure, I hate my job and I don't know what to do. There are tons of, tons of careers that you can start late in life. I mean, if you look into coding or you look into, I don't know, marketing, sales, there's, there's a ton of things you can do and you can learn online or through a coach and, and start a new career. I think there's a lot of advice out there of just like, oh, if you have a terrible job, you should quit. And I think that a lot of times that gets misconstrued as meaning you should quit with no plan. I think what's meant there is you should 
think about what you want to do, get a plan together, and then do it, as opposed to sitting around and, and hoping things get better or just feeling bad, yeah. as tempting as that is. It's so interesting. So, I was expecting you to say, fuck it, but you didn't. You said something totally more like adult and, and thoughtful. And <laughs> it's funny because we, we talked about last week when we were doing the like pre-episode to this episode about how long it can take to actually find and land a new job and that doing that while you're in the shitty job that you hate is actually way more workable than quitting and then being like, well, now I have nothing, you know, like, yeah. here, here I, I am with nothing. Yeah. I don't know about you, but at the times when I haven't had a job, there's a panic that sets in that gets in the way of me figuring out what I really like and pushes me towards grabbing the first thing that I, that I can. And that's, you know, that's a part of my personality. And it's, I'm sure it's not like that for everyone, but I do much better if I have a job to look around and say, okay, what would I like more than this job? But I still think it's the adult form of fuck it. It's more like a fuck it. Okay, let me think how to do that. that <laughs> completely sure. Fuck it responsibly. It's, 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 yeah. Exactly. It's intentional fuck it, you know? <laughs> right. So, um, God, what a great interview, Ellie. I'm so glad you joined us today. This was just fantastic. Uh, it's, Everything Don't tell I the other people, but this is probably my favorite interview so far. <laughs> I am going to tell everyone. Well, it's going to be on the internet, so they already know. Uh, it was such a pleasure having having you. Is there is there anything you'd like to tell our audience uh, before we sign off about what you're doing now or where they can find you or um, any of the other business endeavors that you're up to? I know that you're a consummate entrepreneur. What would you like to share before we say sayonara for the day? Sure. If you're interested in learning and best practices, I have a book called Hack Your Brain, um, which is more of how to learn better, smarter, faster. And you can find that on Amazon. You can just type in my name, which I believe you'll be spelling out on the interview. Yep. It'll be on the blog post, and we'll actually link to your, to your, um, to your book in that yep. blog post. Mm -hmm. Great. And then you can find me at prestigeprep.com or milestonemath.com. Very awesome. cool. Very cool. Thanks again for joining us, Ellie. Um, fantastic. I'm so excited that we were able to catch up after uh, eight years. <laughs> oh, my God. Has it been eight years? It's been eight years. Isn't that wild? Oh, my God. I would have said four. <laughs> my memory of anything that happened between two years and 12 years ago is completely jumbled together. I have no idea when it happened within that time frame. Yeah, I'm usually the same way, but you aligned with some other sort of life milestones that were happening for me eight years ago. So I, I have you sort of pigeonholed in my brain. <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully we'll talk before another eight years elapses. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Thanks All right. This was a, you bet. This was a lot of fun for me. Thanks for listening to another episode of Rules Aren't Real. We hope it gave you some serious food for thought when it comes to the rules you might be following in your own lives. In fact, we'd love to hear about those personal rules of yours or any other thoughts you have about our show. Join the conversation on Instagram at RAR Podcast today. If you want to learn more about Lydia or me, please visit our website at rowancoaching.com slash RAR. Thanks again for listening. We can't wait to break some more rules with you next week. See you soon. soon.